0: Young adults, what's up? (laughs) I'm loving the energy in this room tonight. The energy of this ministry is awesome. I mean, are you feeling the energy as well, just out of curiosity? See, thank you. That that was an above average, yeah. So you see, the energy level is very high tonight. Hey, we're continuing a series, concluding a series, as a matter of fact, tonight about what Jesus would undo in our lives. And we're gonna talk about something tonight that we are all gonna be tempted and struggle with in our lives, and that's greed. Jesus was undo greed in our lives. For those of you who know me, you know that I love stories. I love TV and movies and novels, and yes, comic books. People always say, you always talk about comics when you speak. Well, it's because I like them. So. But when you take in a lot of stories, whenever you read a lot of books and watch a lot of movies and watch a lot of TV, you start to see patterns in the stories, don't you? There's patterns in the storytelling. And you know, psychologists over the years and literary scholars over the years have seen these patterns, and they've got a fancy name for it. They call them archetypes. There are archetypes. They're patterns in the stories that humans tell. And we can look at stories from different cultures, in different eras, in different times, and there's still these same patterns that we see again and again and again in our stories. So one of the patterns that we see in a lot of our stories is a transition in a character's life from being oriented towards taking to oriented towards giving. This is something that we see again and again and again in the stories that we tell. And you see, when we look at these archetypes, What we're seeing is we're seeing the accumulated wisdom of humanity speaking to us through our stories. And these stories are telling us, you know, it's better to be a giver than a taker. Should we talk about a few examples from from popular media here? We should, is the answer. First one, let's go way back. Different culture, different era, different time. It's a tale of battles, epic battles. It's a mythological tale, a tale of gods and men, of a kidnapped beautiful woman of a city under siege. This is a story that has captivated imaginations for literally thousands of years. It's come down to us in a poem that's called The Iliad. And while this is a poem about epic battles and warfare, the heart of the story is actually the heart of a person called Achilles. And Achilles is a hero in one of the armies, the Greek army. And he gets offended because he doesn't think he's getting what he's owed as he's battling for the Greeks. So he says, you know what? Have fun. You can fight this battle on your own. I'm going to step back and not fight, see how far you get without my efforts. And sure enough, the Greeks don't do as well. But then Achilles' best friend dies in battle, and Achilles realizes, I shouldn't have been oriented towards taking and what I should get in life. I should have been out there and I should have been fighting. And in the great central line of the poem, one of the great lines in all of, I think, Western literature, he says, the time has come to conquer rage. In other words, the time has come to conquer, in my own heart, my problems, my taking orientation. So he goes into battle and experiences great triumph. He goes from that taking orientation, what do I get, to that giving orientation? I should be serving this community of other people in battle and risking my lives with them. Another example, I'm gonna try and cater to multiple tastes here with these examples. All right? it's, a, it's a movie from the 70s, maybe you've heard of it. Star Wars. Thanks, I know we got some fans here, some nerds, like me. In Star Wars, which actually is patterned on archetypes, these patterns in storytelling, there's a character called Han Solo, and when you're a kid and you watch Star Wars, you wanna be Han Solo. He's the coolest guy, he's a scoundrel, he's a smuggler, right? And he gets all this money at the end, he kind of goes through the adventure, but then there's this big battle coming, and he's got his reward, and he's like, I'm not gonna fight this battle, I got the money I want, I'm out. And all the, the good guys are saying, no, stay with us, help us, we could use your assistance. And he's like, "No, nah, I'm gonna leave. So then the battle comes, and it doesn't go well, and we think everyone's gonna lose, spoiler alert for 1977, by the way, real quick. Okay, so, <clears throat> we think they're gonna lose the battle, and then who shows up, Han Solo comes back, puts himself at risk, saves the day. He goes from that taking mentality, I just want the reward, I'm out, to giving and serving this group of people that he's come to know and serving you know, the, the wider galaxy. Okay? Now, let's go to a completely different genre real quick. Let's go to a completely different genre just to illustrate this point one step further. Okay? Completely different type of thing. We all love them, all right? Hallmark movies. Let's talk about the Hallmark movies for a second, shall we? You know the pattern. If you've seen two of them, you know the pattern, okay? <laughs> we know how, we know how Hallmark, Hallmark movies work, right? Young lady making big cash in the big city. That's where we start. From there, we travel to a small town. Can't make as much money, can't, can't get as much, but there's community there, and you can serve that community, and there's meaning there. This is the pattern, right, of the Hallmark movie. It's the pattern of going from a taking orientation in life to a giving orientation in life, We see it again and again and again in our stories. This is, like I said, the accumulated wealth of humanity saying, you know, it's actually better to live life giving than taking. Jesus and his followers in in the Jesus movement made this explicit in their teachings. We can look at so many passages on this theme, but I want to look look at one in particular about Jesus interacting with a person and telling a parable and you'll find this particular story in Luke chapter 12 if you'd like to follow along with me Luke chapter 12 I'm going to read from the New Living Translation if you're pulling it up on your phone you'd like to follow along with that translation it will be NLT and then of course we'll have it on the screen if you'd like to read it up there so again Luke 12 13 Jesus is in a teaching scenario and in the midst of him teaching it says in verse 13 then someone called out from the crowd teacher Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. A reasonable request. We've got a brother here. He's not going to, it seems, get any of his father's estate. He may be out on his own. He's not sure what he's going to do. And he knows that Jesus teaches loving people and taking care of people. And so he thinks, well, Jesus will tell me, tell my brother to split the estate. So Jesus replied in verse 14, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? He says, you know, I don't really have the authority, quite literally, to make this decision. I don't really know what's going on there. But Jesus turns this into a teaching moment related to desire, desire that it gets out of control, things that we might call greed. Verse 15, then he, Jesus said, beware. You say beware about things that are a clear and present danger. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. So certainly this brother who's, who's hoarding the wealth should beware of this greed. But also this, this other brother who's preoccupied with getting this money needs to beware as well because he could go astray. And notice Jesus says every kind of greed. You can be greedy for all kinds of things, can't you? You can be greedy for money. You can be greedy for time. You can be greedy for possessions. And Jesus says you need to guard. You need to take action within your life to guard against this type of behavior. Beware of it. It's dangerous, it's destructive, it'll hurt you. And then Jesus adds this statement. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not uh, measured by your accumulation, by your acquisitions. The measure of our lives, we know as we read the scriptures is made very clear actually. It's our relationship with God himself our love for God, our love and service for him and the people around us. That's how life is measured. It's not measured by the accumulation of things or money. Then Jesus transitions here into a parable, verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, this guy not only talks to himself, he, he calls himself his friend. It's kind of a weird guy. he so sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Let's see what God says to this guy. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? Now Jesus says here, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. The person in this story put his focus on acquisition and not on knowing and serving God. Every person in this room throughout our lives we'll be tempted to be like this man. To be obsessed with acquisition and not with knowing and serving God and knowing and loving and serving the people around us. We've got to have a rich relationship with God and that rich relationship with God we know comes through commitment to prayer, to study, to meditation, and to service. Especially service of those who are struggling and in need and marginalized. Let's continue reading Jesus' teaching here. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries at a single moment to your life And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. This reminds me of Pastor Logan's awesome message last week. Wasn't that great? Jesus says here, you know, you're gonna, be, you're gonna have normal concerns in your life, but you, those concerns don't need to become worries because a normal concern for this or that, for your health or for food, money, food, whatever, can become something where you focus on it it gets to the number one spot in your life, and now you're focused on that, and you're becoming greedy for these things. Here's the kicker verse, the key verse tonight, verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. We don't have to worry about acquisition because God's kingdom life is offered to us now. And please note that this verse tells us something about God's character that's important. God, in his character, is a giver. And not only that, it gives him great happiness to give us what we need, which is his kingdom life. Our job is to gratefully receive from God with that proper grateful attitude, and to emulate his character by being givers ourselves. And so that brings us to our three points tonight. The first one is this, very simply, greed hurts. The second is generosity helps. And the third is this, God freely gives us what we need. So first, greed hurts us. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. So here we have one of the great missionaries of the early church, Paul, under the inspiration of God, writing to his protege, Timothy and warning him in the way Jesus warned us just a moment ago of one of the great dangers that we're all going to face in life here's what we see 1 Timothy 6 9 and 10 but people who long to be rich are you longing to be rich be honest with yourself for a second is that what you long for in life and there's different types of riches is what you're truly longing for right now in your life material acquisition a large bank account Fame, prestige, more time, free time, leisure time. Is that what, something that you are longing for that is maybe the first thing in your life right now? The primary concern of your life? Be honest with yourself. People who long to be rich, the Bible tells us, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. These desires beget other desires, beget other desires, and that leads us ultimately to ruin and destruction. Please remember, God doesn't tell us not to sin and not to be greedy because he doesn't like it, just arbitrarily. He, He tells us not to do this because it hurts us. And he says, don't be trapped by all these foolish and harmful desires that ultimately are going to hurt you. Don't long to be rich. Long to know God. Long to serve God. Long to love the people around you. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Greed is harmful. It hurts us. First of all, it's worth noting that greed can never be satisfied. If you're greedy for anything, you're never going to be satisfied. Solomon, a wildly wealthy king of ancient Israel who Jesus alluded to in his teaching that we read, and, and someone who was so rich, he made the, the community of Israel so rich that the Bible says that silver in his reign was like pebbles in the street. That's how wealthy Solomon became. But he was also known for his enormous wisdom. He'd asked God for wisdom, and God had granted it to him. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, a fascinating book by Solomon, we read this. Put it very simply those who love money will never have enough. If you love anything more than God, you're never going to have enough. You can't be satisfied. With these things, only God satisfies us. More recently, John D. Rockefeller, another wildly wealthy individual, famously observed that the amount of money needed to make someone happy was. Does anyone know this? What did John D. Rockefeller say? What What amount of money makes someone happy? Does anyone know? Two billion. Two billion. Excellent guess. Excellent guess. That's not what he said, though. Yep, that's it. One dollar more. One dollar more, just a little bit more, is what you need to make yourself happy. Someone was that Jared? Did you that? Someone give him a dollar, by the way. So, I would, but I don't, don't care cash. So, it's, but someone give him a one dollar more, make him happy. No, we get the point that John D. Rockefeller made, don't we? You're never happy with money. You can always use more. Take it from people who have enormous quantities of money. They know. Now, greed also makes us miserable. When greed or anything takes the top spot in our lives, so this this desire for whatever that gets out of control, when it takes the top spot in our lives, that means by definition God is no longer in the top spot in our lives. And see, God's ways and following God is what's actually best for us in life. And so if God is not in the top spot, but acquisition is, is of any kind... We start serving the acquisition more than we serve God's ways, and we will depart from God's ways, which are best for us, in order to acquire more, and that is by definition going to hurt us. And not only will it hurt us, and please understand this, if you have an attitude of wanting more, you're going to hurt the people around you too, guaranteed. This is not simply an internal problem. You're going to neglect the people around you. You're going to hurt the people around you if you're always wondering about what you can get. To put even a more fine point on this, we could say that greed is something that makes us depart obviously from what we were actually made to do in life. It it just violates our purpose of existence to love God and love the people around us. When greed is number one, when acquisition is number one, we depart from that. We only hurt ourselves and the people around us. But God doesn't want us living those types of lives lives of greed, destruction, and sorrow. So Jesus undoes greed. And as I often teach, you know, it's not enough just to give up a bad behavior, right? You can't just say, okay, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I teach this at school, I teach this here. You you don't say, okay, this behavior, I'm gonna stop doing this, I'm gonna stop. That doesn't work. You tell yourself, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, what do you do? Same thing, keep doing it, same thing. So you've gotta replace the unhealthy behavior with a healthy behavior. And so Jesus, if we'll let him, comes into our lives. He undoes greed, and he cultivates generosity. He makes us more like him because it makes God happy to give to us. That's our second point tonight. Generosity helps us and the people around us. Generosity helps. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Famous, famous quotation. It may interest you to know that quotation is not actually from the Gospels. That's actually from the book of Acts. Paul quotes Jesus from the traditions that Paul received when he was trained, but it's not actually in the Gospels. But that was the tradition uh, of the teaching of the early church was that Jesus, one of his teachings was, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We've often heard this. Now, of course, He's not saying there's something wrong with receiving. We do have to be receivers a lot of the time, don't we? We certainly have to receive from God. We can't do things on our own. We need to receive wisdom and power and and help from God. We need to receive help from the people around us. We should receive all that gratefully, but it's more blessed. It's more happy to be giving-oriented than taking and receiving-oriented. And, you know, there are many, many ways that we can give in our lives, We often talk about money, and and that's important. We should talk about that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But there's other ways that we can give. We can give up a little bit of the time, the leisure time that we cherish, to do something good for somebody. One of the most challenging quotes I've ever heard, I often state it when I'm teaching and lecturing. Brace yourself, because this this one stings, okay? This one really hurts. Life isn't short. We just waste most of our time. I, I, I reiterate this whenever I teach, if only for myself. To remind myself, life isn't short. We just sit around and waste most of our time. We have a lot of time that we could be giving to do something of value for the kingdom in the world. Time that we could use to help the people around us. We can give of our energy, of our efforts, of our labors. We can work, quite literally, to help people. And then, of course, my, my topic that I always come back to, we can give of our words. You may not have much time that you can give. You have family and work responsibilities that you can't depart from. You may not have much in the way of money or even energy to give, but we all can be richly generous with the way that we speak to the people around us. This is a way that we can be generous people in our lives. There are people around us who never hear kindness in words. They never hear kindness. You can be the person who says something kind to those people. It costs us basically nothing to say kind words to other people. And we need to be more generous, most of us, I think, with our words. Also, of course, we can give with our finances. And, you know, giving to help others is not only helpful to those people who receive what we give, and it not only glorifies God, but let me just tell you this. It's also immensely satisfying, Giving of your time, your efforts, your finances to do something big in the world, to do something helpful in the world, that is one of the most satisfying, one of the most happiness-giving things you can possibly do with yourself. Giving cultivates happiness. Are you struggling in life right now? Are you struggling with satisfaction, with sadness? Look for some opportunities to be giving, and you'll see that there's more happiness, more satisfaction in your life as you do that. Again, one of the most immensely satisfying things you can possibly do is look for opportunities to be giving and then grasp those opportunities. You know, in church, we'll soon have an opportunity here at High Street. So if you're not a High Street member tonight, this is, this is not this section here is not for you specifically. But for those of us who are High Street members or regular attenders at High Street, we've got the missions conference coming up. And that means we're going to have an opportunity to commit to giving something to missions around the world in the coming year. To give whatever we can give so that, quite literally, children's lives can be saved around the world people have clean drinking water, people can have something to eat, people can have schools to go to, and people can hear the good news. People who may never hear any good news at all, they can hear the good news that there is a God, that that God loves them, and that they can have a relationship with that God. And so I challenge you if you're here in your regular Tinder high street or uh, member high street, that you would be very seriously considering what you might be able to give. It doesn't have to be much. Give a dollar every week. And you may think, well, what, what does that even do if I give a dollar a week? Well, it matters to the, to the child who got a meal as a result of it, doesn't it? It may not feel like much to you, but it can go a long way. God can multiply what we give. We've got an opportunity coming up as a church to be generous. We should grasp that opportunity because it'll do big things in the world. Our final point tonight is this one. God freely gives us What we need. God's nature is to give. The creation that we live in, this phenomenal world, is a gift. Our lives are a gift. Look through the stories in the Bible. Story after story after story is God giving. He plants a garden in Eden with delectable fruits and satisfying work that the first humans can engage in. He gives them those things. He gives them satisfying work, satisfying food, a paradise in which to live. When they depart from his ways, does he stop giving? No, he continues to give. He makes them clothing. They make themselves these ridiculous, you know, leaf clothes. He comes in and he gives them the durable clothing from the animals. We see the children of Israel in the Bible laboring under bondage, under slavery. God gives them a path. To liberty. God gives them land. And on and on and on it goes. One of the most poignant stories in all the Old Testament. Abraham goes to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And as the knife is raised, an angel says, Stop it. Don't do that. And then in the place of Isaac, a ram that God had miraculously provided is slain. And Abraham calls that place God will provide. He calls that place God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. God gives the sacrifice that's needed. You can go through all the story of the Bible. Every story can be viewed as a story of God giving. This brings me to my favorite Bible verse. This is actually, not one of, this is my favorite Bible verse. You ask me what it is, this one, James 1:17. 1, Whatever is good, And perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. The God who created the massive, unbelievable, unfathomable cosmos is giving to us good and perfect gifts in our lives. Whatever you recognize in your life that's good and that's perfect, that's enjoyable, that's a gift from God. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. It makes him happy to give. That's his nature, and the nature doesn't change. All the good that we enjoy in life comes from God. And here's the, here's, here's the kicker for me. This is, this is what I've learned the hard way through life. So, so listen to me and learn it the easy way, okay? Whatever those things, whatever they are in your life, those gifts, take that number one spot. We lose even the satisfaction that those gifts have. When we come focused on the gifts and the blessing that God gives, they're not satisfying anymore. But when we recognize those gifts as from God and God takes the number one place in our lives, then we can receive those gifts gratefully and we can enjoy them for what they are. So if you're taking any of the blessings of your life and you're putting them first, you're making that your overwhelming concern, they're not going to satisfy you. But if you receive the gifts in your life as gifts from God, then you will be satisfied and grateful to the giver of all life and all good gifts. The most amazing gift that's ever been given is the gift of God giving himself transcendent creator of the universe, the ground of existence, the ground of being, becomes a man named Jesus. That in itself is a giving act, transcendence taking on the clothing of humanity, of finite humanity. It's a gift for God to become a man in the person of Jesus. He lives a life of radical giving. He gives freely of his wisdom. He's helping people. He's giving. And then in the end, He gives his life. He says he gives it as a ransom for many. He gives himself up. He gives literally his life so that we can experience life ourselves. He died not simply a death, but a death of torture, a death that in the ancient world was a slave's death, a shameful, horrific death, God of the universe, hanging on a cross, battered. Bleeding profusely. The Bible tells us, though, that the, gift, the giving doesn't even end there. Because in the resurrection, we have the most incredible gift, a promise of coming resurrection for those who follow in Jesus' footsteps and receive him into their lives. Romans 8.32 says this, Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? That is, won't he give us everything that we need? Jesus said explicitly that he came so that we might have life and life more abundantly. He said that he told his disciples the things that he told them so that they could have joy. He came through his death, burial, and resurrection to bring gifts of abundant life and gifts of joy, the joy that comes from the perfectly transcendent and happy God. And remember, he comes giving us that, and it makes our Father happy to give us the kingdom. So tonight, wherever you are, whatever situation in life that you're in, God wants to give you what you need. You have struggles right now in your life. We all do. God wants to give you what you need deal with those struggles he may take them away he may give you the fortitude and the character to endure them but whatever you need god's here and he can give it sometimes we don't know what we need but god knows and he's willing to give it if we'll connect with him if we'll have a relationship with him and here's the thing god wants to help he wants to give you this kingdom life the only thing that can stop him is us we're the only thing that gets in the way he's not going to force his good gifts upon us We have to have an open heart. We have to swallow our pride. We have to make ourselves a little uncomfortable and receive it. But if we will, he'll give and he'll be happy to do it. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to receive cleansing from a destructive behavior in your life. Maybe you've got a behavior that you see in your life and you know that that it's hurting you. And it's hurting the people around you. God wants to give you a pathway out of that he wants to give you a more abundant kingdom life makes him happy to do it we'll have a moment of invitation here coming up real soon and I challenge you if you've got something going on God wants to help we're going to have an open altar here and you can come you can pray with somebody you can pray on your own you can do whatever you need to do but you come to God and you say God I know that you want to give me a pathway out of this to pay for that I've got and I want to receive it, and I want to start that journey tonight. You can do that. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and you recognize if you look at your own life, you recognize, you say, you know, I've got a taking mentality. I'm always thinking about, okay, how can I get a little bit more from here, or how can I get a little bit more there? How can I get a little bit more time? How can I get a little bit more of this? How can I get a little bit more of that? God wants to give you the gift of Generosity. He wants to help you become generous so that you can experience the divine joy that comes through giving. So I invite you as well to come do some some time with God and talk through that. And then most importantly, in a group this size, there are probably some here who if they truly evaluated their hearts and their lives right now, if they looked at themselves, they said, you know, I don't know that I've ever really received the gift of God himself into my heart, into my soul, into my life. Can I ask you, even if it's uncomfortable, take just a moment to look into your heart. Have you made that connection before? God wants to give you the most incredible, amazing gift imaginable, and that's the gift of himself and his presence. And when you receive it into your life, not only do you start the kingdom of God life now, but you have a promise of an unbelievable destiny in God's presence. Maybe you're here tonight and you think, you know, I... I don't think I have made that connection before. Once again, during this invitation time that we're about to have, we invite you to come down. We'd love to speak with you and help you understand that process of choosing to follow God and receive him into your life. Wherever we are, God's offering to give us what we need. We've got to say yes. Let's say a word of prayer here as we close.